Chapter 2 The Royal Brompton Hospital I realized that I knew truly little about my father's background, except that he had been an only child, and that sadly his parents, Eric and Susan Chandler, my grandparents, had been killed in an air raid in 1940 in the Blitz during the Battle of Britain, when a bomb landed on their house in Chelsea, dropped by a Heinkel AG-111, destroying the house and killing my grandparents instantly. Dad had told us about that terrible night one evening after my other grandparents had visited us for Christmas. Mum's parents, however, were very much alive and represented all that was good and honourable in my life. I adored them. They're wonderful grandparents, and Simon and I couldn't have wished for kinder and more loving relatives. Mum came from a large family and had two older siblings, my uncle Nicholas, a successful stockbroker, married to my aunt Jenny, and my aunt Ruth, the aforementioned professor of linguistics at Oxford. Uncle Nick and aunt Jen have three kids, our cousins Martin, Catherine, and Scott, who are all around the same age as me and my brother, and Aunt Ruth is married to our Uncle David, who is also a Don at Oxford, but I'm not exactly sure what he teaches. What I do know, however, is that Uncle David is wickedly funny and has all of us in stitches every time he visits. Tiki, their son, has a sister called Shelley, two years younger than him, who's currently serving time at Rodine, an all-girls boarding school near Brighton on the south coast and in her senior year. Shelley and Tiki have always been close and she intended to head to Oxford and join him next year. Aunt Ruth and Uncle David were pleased that Shelley had chosen her grandfather's university, even though it would be costing them quite a lot of money they felt that Shelley would greatly benefit from her experience. I was working on several things concerning my investigation into the picture I had seen. I knew my grandparents' names on my father's side had been Eric and Susan Chandler and knew roughly where they had lived in Chelsea. So, one afternoon, I went to the tax office at the Royal Borough of Kensington Records Department and looked up their address. Sure enough, after a couple of hours of ferreting around the records, I found the address I was looking for. The Chandlers had lived at 37 Eaton Terrace, Chelsea SW3. I jotted down the address and on a whim decided to head over there to see what had been built in its place after the war. I'm not sure what I was expecting, maybe a row of ugly houses or a gleaming modern monstrosity, full of glass and steel beams, had been built on the same footprint where the houses had been destroyed by the German bombs. When I arrived, I didn't expect to see what I found. I know I'm young, but my mum had always instilled her love of architecture on us boys, and from an early age we had been dragged to old homes and estates, so I was well versed in the authenticity and magnificence of old buildings. What I found in Eaton Terrace, however, was house after house of splendid Georgian homes dating back to King George IV that had all been built around 1830. I walked up to number 37 
and looked up at its facade. While I was no expert, I frankly saw no signs of damage to the original structure. Surprised, I steeled myself and with false bravado walked up the steps and knocked on the front door. After a moment, the door opened and standing before me was a frail old man of around 85 years of age. Good afternoon, sir. My name is Matthew Chandler, and I was wondering if you could help me, I began. The old man looked at me, and with a look of surprise, his face suddenly turned ashen grey, and without warning, he fell to the floor, making a loud thump as he fell, while I stood on his doorstep. I ran toward him and attempted to revive him, but he was out cold, and so I knelt down on the floor beside him, and seeing that he was unconscious, began to panic. I looked around the dimly lit hallway, and noticed a hall table on the left, and then saw a phone sitting on it. I jumped up and ran over to the phone, picked it up, and dialed 999, and was immediately connected to an emergency operator. I quickly told her what had happened, and said I needed an ambulance at 37 Eaton Terrace, SW3, and then I hung up and waited for it to arrive. After a few minutes, the old man opened his eyes, but didn't seem to be aware of anything and appeared to be completely non-compass mentis and just lay there looking confused. I felt awful and so guilty that I had done something to scare this nice old man, but a voice inside me told me to stay focused and stay with the man until the ambulance arrived and then find out what hospital they would be taking him to and leave a note on the hall table explaining what had happened if by chance the man had a wife who was perhaps out, maybe shopping. I intended to accompany the old man to the hospital if I was allowed. Reflections take me back again Shadows calm my Ten minutes later, the ambulance arrived and two men jumped out and dealt with the old man, finally putting him on a stretcher to carry him to the ambulance, where they were going to transport him to the Royal Brompton Hospital. I thanked the men and asked if I could go with them in the ambulance to the hospital. Initially, they looked unsure, but then one of them asked me if I was a family member. Yes, I lied, and he nodded his head and told me, to get into the ambulance. I wrote a to whom it may concern note and placed it on the hall table explaining who I was and gave my name and address at Balliol and mentioned that I would stay with the old man until they arrived. At that moment, a neighbour having seen the ambulance poked her head in and asked somewhat redundantly if everything was all right. I explained what had happened and she told me she would inform his wife and let her know he had been taken to the Royal Brompton Hospital and that I was with him. I thanked her and jumped into the ambulance. We arrived at the hospital in record time, and the old man was wheeled into the emergency room on a gurney. At that point, I was directed to the waiting room while he was still being checked out by the doctors. An hour later, 
Someone from the hospital told me that the old man was in stable condition, but had been admitted for observation, and that I was welcome to go and visit with him in the ward as visiting hours were still going on for the next couple of hours. Over the past hour, I'd had plenty of time to reflect on why this man had reacted so strongly when I introduced myself. Could it be... Hmm, I wondered. Was it too much of a coincidence that we shared the same surname? I was confused. A few minutes after I arrived in the ward and was settling into an uncomfy chair, when an old woman appeared looking harried and fraught with worry, she rushed over to the old man's bedside and kissed him on the cheek and whispered to him, Hello, my love, you silly old man. I'm here now. I love you, my darling. With those gentle words, he opened his eyes, smiled and replied, I'm so glad you came, darling. So sorry to be such a nuisance. And they looked at each other as if they were teenagers. I felt a rush of love and warmth inside. The old man was drifting in and out of consciousness and still didn't seem to be at all well. His wife was clucking around him like a mother hen and it seemed rude of me to intrude on any more of their time, so I decided to take my leave of them. The old lady shook me by the hand and thanked me profusely for saving her husband's life. I just smiled at her, telling her that I was glad to be of help, but left feeling more confused than ever. I left that day, replaying the afternoon's events in my head. First of all, why had my dad told us that his childhood home had been destroyed when it clearly hadn't been. Could it be that he'd actually grown up somewhere else? Maybe a street or two over, perhaps? Had I not searched hard enough? And why had the old man collapsed when I told him my name? Or had that just been a coincidence too? Maybe he was about to collapse right before he answered the door. There were so many questions that were swirling around my head as I climbed aboard the double-decker bus that would take me from South Kensington to Paddington Station, which would take me home to Oxford. Ever since I'd been a little boy, I'd always loved riding double-decker buses in London. My favourite thing to do was to climb the stairs and walk to the very front of the bus and plonk myself down in the front seat and pretend I was driving that magnificent beast. I clearly was destined to become a bus driver. Forty minutes later, after a scenic tour of London, I arrived at Paddington Station. There happened to be a bus stop literally opposite the station, and so I rang the bell, and the bus dropped me just fifty feet away from the front door. I looked at my watch. It was 4.55 p.m., and I had just 11 minutes to buy a ticket and catch my train, and so I sprinted down the stairs of the bus and rushed to buy my ticket. I made the train just as it was starting to pull out of the station. (laughs) 